are familiar with the story of Nehemiah, we're looking at um, the story starts around about 600 BC. You might be more familiar with the story of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And uh, when King Nebuchadnezzar sieged the, uh, the city of Jerusalem and they were taken as exiles to Babylon. Um, about 150 years later is this story of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was one of those exiles taken into, well, his parents were, one, were, the, were some of the exiles taken into Babylon. And, uh, and he comes from the city of Susa. And, uh, and tradition has it that, um, that Daniel ended up in the city of Susa. And you might also know that Esther was the queen in Susa as well. And so Nehemiah, Nehemiah might have even known Esther. It was about 35, 40 years between their times. And Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. That meant that he was a trusted advisor to the king. He might have overseen um, the king's dining and tasted the king's wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned. But he was, he was a trusted servant of the king. So the Jews are still in exile. Some of them had gone back to Jerusalem, but Nehemiah grew up with his Jewish parents in a foreign land. And they would talk about his home city of Jerusalem, which he hadn't seen. They would talk about the worship of God at the temple. They would talk about the, the hope and the promise for the people of, of Israel, the promises that God had for His people. And even though they were in exile, the Jews always had that hope of returning. And as cupbearer to the king, Nehemiah would uh, occasionally have Jews from other provinces come and pass on news. And Nehemiah in the book, in the Bible, talks about Nehemiah receiving word from his Jewish friends, a relative and some other friends, that the city of Jerusalem lay in ruins. Now this had happened 150 years before, but maybe in his mind he, he thought that the people going back there, they would be rebuilding or, or that the, the picture that he, he had passed on from his parents and his grandparents would be real. But he was told that, that the walls lay in breach, not just that some of the walls were knocked down, but all of the walls were in breach and the, the gates had been burned. And he mourned and he was so sad, he was just moved to his core. And so he prayed. And we read, um, as we look in, in Nehemiah, and we read that in the month of Kislev, he, he found out that information. And then uh, in chapter two, it says, in the month of Nisan, Nehemiah approached the king. We can just read quickly past those, but the fact is that in the Jewish calendar, they are four months apart. That was a very long winter for Nehemiah as he mourned the destruction of his city, his homeland, the disgrace of his people, the trouble that his people were in, scattered throughout the provinces with no hope. And so Nehemiah uh, approaches the king and the king actually notices his countenance. He said, why are you looking so sad? I haven't seen you like this before. And so Nehemiah, after spending those four months in prayer, approaches the king and says, my homeland is in ruins. And through a conversation with the king, Nehemiah had the favour of God and the favour of the king. And he was granted passage to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, to rebuild his city. And not only that, he would have passage through the land so that he wouldn't be attacked and he was given resources 
of the Persian kingdom to do that. When the, when the people from Jerusalem were taken as exiles 150 years before, that was by King Nebuchadnezzar and it was a Babylonian kingdom and then the Persians defeated the Babylonians and now it's a Persian kingdom. But people remembered and nobody wanted the Jews to rebuild Jerusalem. They didn't want them to have the power. They knew the stories of the, of the God of the Jews, the God of the Israelites. And so there was fierce opposition, but Nehemiah went, he was made governor of Jerusalem and he rebuilt the walls. People had been re- residing in Jerusalem and people uh, also came with Nehemiah and to help him do that. And he mentions 43 groups of people in this book. And it says, and this family built the wall in front of them. And this group of people built the wall in front of their house. And this people built between those two. And these people built the wall in front of their house. And in 52 days, miraculously, the walls of Jerusalem had been repaired. And it was the start of another great season for the Israelites. There was tremendous opposition from those who didn't want Nehemiah to succeed. There was interruptions to the, the food supplies of the people. There was traps being, uh, being schemed to try and, uh, and call Nehemiah out, to try and distract him, maybe to try and kill him. But Nehemiah prays, Nehemiah rallies the people, Nehemiah works. And even through the opposition, he stands strong on three things. Let's have a look at that picture of, um, of, of what it might have looked like for Nehemiah. The great walls of Jerusalem were rebuilt in the midst of opposition in the midst of hopelessness, of despair. Nehemiah was so moved and disheartened when he first heard the news that his city and his people were in the midst of adversity, were under shame, were in the midst of reproach, of breach, of trouble, of despair and of brokenness. But in the midst of this, God calls Nehemiah, he raises him up and he uses him to restore his people and to restore his city. We're going to zoom out just for a little bit before we jump into some passages in Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah was a kind of a watchman. And in the Bible we read about this a lot. A watchman is is someone who is close to the king. And as we sung about and as Liam reminded us, we are not just servants of the king, we are sons and daughters of the king. And so a watchman watchman is someone who knows the heart of the king. They know the lay of the land, they know the people. And they are at watch, they are on watch to call out what is happening in the land. Someone on the wall who's discerning and protecting and calling out. Spending time with the king and then time watching out for what they need to bring to the king's attention and for the encouragement, for calling out, for the danger. 
And so I'm waiting for someone to step into their calling and draw me that picture of a watchman on the wall. But I don't have that yet. And so while I wait, I've had to draw my own version of that picture. And you'll either be extremely impressed. You're already laughing, aren't you? You will either be extremely impressed and say, oh, you don't need someone else at all. Or the person who shall remain nameless, who may be here this morning, but I'm not sure, uh, might just feel so much sympathy that they'll step into that. Oh, did you laugh because it came up on the screen? Because this is my picture. So a stickman is the limit of my creative ability. Um, but so we're zooming out, we're, we're looking at a picture of a watchman. There's the, the picture of King Jesus up in the top there. The watchman on the wall and the person looking up, keeping their eyes up. And what we see in the main part of the picture is a pit, a pit of despair, of hopelessness, of brokenness, of adversity, of things lying in breach. And in our lives and in ministry, in our churches, in our families, we, we try and, and create bridges over those pits. We try and navigate ourselves and our families and the people who are close to us and the people that we minister to. We try and, and help them navigate the, um, the despair but you all know that sometimes we are in the pit. Sometimes the, the bridge doesn't hold up for us. Sometimes people slip through, we slip through. Sometimes there is no bridge at all and we just have to go through that time of adversity and that time of despair. Nehemiah has the role of a watchman and sometimes that is a role that we are called to as well for our family or for our church or for our ministry or for our people or for the story of those people in Africa that God moved your heart about, for the story that you heard that moved you to the core, that, that brought you to your knees, that moved you to pray and to seek God for restoration. And as a watchman, you, you look out for the danger. You call out the danger. You call out the good. You call out the good of God, which we see Nehemiah doing in the story. We call out the good that is possible and you call out the good in people. And as a watchman, you also call for reinforcements. And so that's what we see happen in the book of Nehemiah. He prays, he rallies, he works, and though through strong opposition and really hard work ahead of them, he stays strong on three things that are gonna come up on the screen. He remembers the Lord, he rallies the people and he reaffirms the call. And we just see that coming out over and over and over again in the book of Nehemiah. The book's only 13 chapters long, so you can actually read through it in one sitting. And I would encourage you to do it. Look, look for the themes yourselves. Look for the themes that God is bringing out to you. And so Nehemiah continues to remember the Lord all the way through this. He remembers God's presence with him, but also in the history of the people of Jerusalem. When they're in the desert, when they were fleeing Egypt, when they crossed the sea, when they spent the 40 years in the desert. He remembers God's presence. He remembers God's protection and he remembers God's provision. 
And Nehemiah rallies the people. Um, he was excellent at this. So many times we see that and we're gonna jump in a, into a few passages in a moment. He presents them with the vision that God has given him and he rallies the people to it. He shares the call. He encourages them. He also challenges them at a few different points in the book. And he reaffirms the call over and over again to the people. Let's rebuild the wall. Let's stop the reproach. Let's bring back, bring the people back from shame, the city back from destruction. May the people of God prosper again. And as I was reading through this, I was reminded of the passage in Luke 4, where Jesus is reading from the scrolls as Luke records. Um, and there's some references to Isaiah uh, 58 and Isaiah 61 in that time. And Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, for He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And then if you go back to Isaiah 58 and 61, you can read the rest of those. That's word for word from Isaiah 61. And then it goes on to provide beauty instead of ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair, to rebuild the ruins and restore the places long devastated, to renew ruined cities. And from Isaiah 58, your people will re rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls and restorer of streets with dwellings. And so Jesus read that out in, in Luke 4 and said that that, has, um, that was true about him. That those words had come to pass in the hearing of the people that he was reading that to. But he also calls his people to be repairer of broken walls and restorer of streets with dwellings. And as we spend time with the king, our king will let us know the assignment that he would have us on. And so if you are in a pit or precariously navigating one, or if you're helping others in one, these are the things that you can focus on too. Let's see how these play out in the, in the book of Nehemiah. We're gonna have a look at three passages this morning. The first one is from Nehemiah chapter two, and that's gonna come up on the screen there. Nehemiah chapter two, verse 17 and 18, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. And so in this passage, we see that Nehemiah first rallies the people. He says, look, everyone wake up, see the trouble that we are in. Our city lies in ruins and the gates have been burned. Come on, he says. In some other translations, he just says, come on. And then he reaffirms the call, let us rebuild. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. All of God's people knew that that was meant to be. It was meant to be God's city. 
and the, the worship had been reinstated in the temple and some people had moved back, but nobody had rebuilt the walls. It was still lying in desolation and shame. And, and he says, come, let us rebuild the wall and we will no longer be in disgrace. And then he remembers the Lord. He said, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. So he recounts the story. He would have told them of, of receiving the news and then of praying and fasting and mourning and then going before the king and miraculously being given favour to leave his role and then being given resources and safe passage and being given a position in Jerusalem as well. And the people would have been amazed and it would have, uh, would have inspired their faith. And, th and they reply, well, let us start rebuilding then. And so they began this good work. Another passage we're gonna look at is in Nehemiah 4, a couple of chapters later. And uh, Nehemiah says, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them, talking about the people who are opposing them and threatening them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And we see that phrase all through Nehemiah, I love it. I haven't noticed it in any other book of the Bible. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, he calls them. Fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. The work is extensive and spread out, talking about each, each person, each group along the wall. And we are widely separated from each other. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. And so actually he, he starts with rallying. He stood up as cupbearer to the king. That, that's a pretty good role back in Susa but it's, it's only a servant of the king. And right now he's talking to nobles and officials and the people. He's leading the, uh, the rebuilding, the restoration of Jerusalem. And so he addresses them, he rallies them together and he says, don't be afraid. Then there's that theme again, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. He reaffirms the call for them and he makes it personal. He says, fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. And then he rallies them again around that call. We are spread out, but we are here for one reason and for one God. And I love that, that picture of when the trumpet sounds that people should gather there. And that might have been for, uh, for protection. It might have been that, that some enemies were coming to approach and they needed to, to gather there to defend the city. You'll read that um, at, at some time during the build, when the opposition was fierce, they built with, they had a, they had a weapon in one hand and then a brick in the other. They were, they were actually building and protecting at the same time. Sometimes they took shifts for building and for, for protecting. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. And again, rallying around, remembering God's goodness and rallying around the call, our God will fight for us because He has asked us to do this. And then in Nehemiah 9, we see the prayer of the people. And so it talks about the people in Jerusalem as they had gathered and as they were increasing in numbers, it said they took their places. And um, it's talking about that they took their places for where their tribes were meant to serve. 
around the temple and around the town. Um, but the people took their places and then a group of people um, on the stairs of the Levites, it said, led all the people in this prayer. And this is just part of it. The whole prayer is really moving. This part says, because of your great compassion, Lord, you did not abandon them in the wilderness, talking about their ancestors. By day, the pillar of cloud did not fail to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths and you gave them water for their thirst. For 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. Remembering God's goodness to his people. Remembering God's goodness in our lives. is so important, isn't it? And sometimes when we're in the pit, we forget about that. We're surrounded by hardship and the despair and the brokenness and we're mourning. But Nehemiah shows us and God calls us to remember the Lord and his goodness. Nehemiah remembers God's presence with them, the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And and even um, his Holy Spirit to instruct them appears there in Nehemiah. And God's amazing provision for his people throughout the desert, the manna, the water even. For 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. That's amazing provision. And then this last bit is a provision and protection. Have you read this before? That their clothes didn't wear out in the desert. Did you know that? In another book it says that their sandals didn't even wear out. That seems insignificant, but it's a miraculous provision of God and protection for his people. Their feet didn't even become swollen. Walking so far, round in circles, but so far, their feet didn't even become swollen because God was providing for them and protecting them. And that's what we see in Nehemiah, that he remembers the Lord and he calls people to that. That people had known about the despair and the destruction of Jerusalem, but they hadn't done anything about it. And because of God's call and God laying that on Nehemiah's heart and because of the four months of prayer and fasting and then the favour that God granted to Nehemiah, God chose Nehemiah to to lead his people and to rebuild his city and to fulfil again the purpose of God's people to make a difference in the lands and to the other nations around them. We'll go to the next slide, back to our artwork masterpiece. You see, that person who is looking up towards the watchman and the king, they have a choice. What's actually going to be most drawing for them is to, is to look down at the pit and say, whoa, that is terrible. There are people suffering in that pit. There's despair and reproach and shame and destruction. And the temptation is to spend all of our energy and, and all of our very beings to, to mourn that and to want to fix that. And yes, there are pits of adversity and despair in our lives. Pits of reproach and breach. 
pits of trouble and destruction. And yes, we have to warn people about that. And yes, we are called to rescue people from those places. And yes, we are called to repair that bridge so that less people fall into that pit. But our primary calling is to actually keep our eyes on the King. We keep our eyes on the King, we spend time with the King and we listen for how He directs us to respond. That king there has a little Church of Christ logo on his flag, but it's not about Church of Christ. It's not about denominations. You like that little that little addition I made there? Um, it's not about that, but in each season of our life, God will often give us something to focus on. Let's have a look at that blank flag and you can have a think about what that might be for you. It might be rebuilding a wall. It might be repairing a bridge. It might be removing despair for people. It might be rebuilding hope, restoring hope. It might be restoring the people of God. It might be caring for your family. It might be sharing the good news of God with others who don't know. It might be sharing the story of of the goodness of God in your life and, and sharing your testimony with others. I wonder what that is for you. If you don't know yet, that's all right. Let's have a look at the next screen. For Churches of Christ, for this season, it is bringing the light of Christ into communities. And God will have different mission statements for different seasons and that's okay. Mission statements can change. Our goal is to keep our eyes on on the King, to spend time with the King, because he's our father. We don't just serve him as a servant, we relate to him as sons and daughters. And we get to know him, we get to know the tilt of his head and the, and the tone of his voice. We get to know his heart and what is important to him. And so then when we step out into the calling that he has called each one of us, whether that be big or small, whether that be just our response in the circumstances that we're in, or to our family, or to our friends, or to help that one person in the pit, as we respond, then we'll be able to take that role of a watchman in that situation, to call out the danger, to call out the good, the good of what might be possible, the good in that person, the good of God, and then to to be close to the King, to call out reinforcements, to spend those times in prayer and intercession, pleading for God to act, for God to do the restoring because it's Him who restores and Him who rebuilds. He just chooses to use us sometimes. And so for Kenmore Church, your, uh, your mission statement is filling hearts and fueling mission. And we have been beneficiaries of that at Southport Church of Christ. And Church of Christ Queensland have been beneficiaries of that as you bless other churches as you invite other churches in to learn and to grow and to experience God, as you resource other churches, as you invest in training and, um, and equipping, and then look for ways that, uh, ways that you can be a resourcing church into the future. And so this is your mission for this time as Kenmore Church.
And so I wonder what yours, your mission is personally. What it is that God is calling you to do. Let's go forward to that blank one, yeah. You don't have to have a catchy phrase. You, if you leave today and you go, oh, I don't have a catchy phrase like filling hearts and fueling mission or I'm not really sure what God has called me to do. Just spend time with him on that. He'll know. He'll let you know. Spend time with the king, listening for his heart where he is calling you, you to. See, for me personally, I'm passionate about people experiencing all that God has for them. And I lead by holding that vision and then helping people work out the steps that they need to take to achieve that. And that kind of short little summary for me is helpful because for this season, that is how God is using me. And for this season, that is, uh, that is where God is calling me in individual people's lives and, and for our movement as well. And so um, some of the things that, that I find that God is calling me to is to lead and to catalyse and to inspire and facilitate and advocate and to coach and to pray for all of those things. And, uh, and by keeping our eyes on Jesus, it helps us to make a phrase of Nehemiah's our own. Nehemiah was up on the wall and, and, there, and the people were, uh, the enemies were trying to, to dis- distract him from his work, to try and trap him and kill him. And Nehemiah said, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Now he said that because he knew what they were asking him to do. He knew that, that there was a trap there. But for us, we don't always know. But by being close to the king, but by being sensitive to his call on our lives, it helps us to respond when we need to. It helps if you know what God is calling you to do in a time when someone says, can you come and start this new ministry? It might be an awesome ministry. But if it doesn't line up with what the heart of God has for you at this time, you can say, I'm doing a great work, but I can't come down for that. If someone says, hey, did you hear about the latest gossip, the latest thing that I heard about so-and-so? God's not calling me to that. God's calling me to something higher. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. I don't suggest you use those words when you respond to people, but... um, even personal distractions for us. How about scrolling Facebook reels for one or two or three hours? No, I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. God has called me to something higher for this season and probably always away from scrolling for three hours. Now, God might be saying to you, watch me, watch me and pray. He might be saying, watch me and serve the kids. He might be saying, watch me and tell other people about me. He might be saying, watch me and rest. That might be your word for this season. He might be saying, watch me and enjoy my love for you in this season. He might say, watch and intercede because I need you to pray right where you are. He might say, watch and teach or watch and pastorally care or watch and go to Africa or watch and give, or watch and lead, or who knows what it is. It's not all about doing, it's just about being close to the King 
being close to King Jesus and hearing what He would have to say to us. And then as you share that with others, then they can respond. As you get involved in work, they can say, hey, isn't this meant to be a season of rest for you? Or if you are resting, but your friends know that, um, that God has actually called you to do something else, they can encourage you in that as well. Can you tell me what has changed on this slide here that's coming up? Very soon it will come up. Nothing has changed, but soon it will change. Can anyone pick what has changed on what the sign? Did someone say? Yep, that's right, the sign. And so we can that that sign before just had an exclamation mark on it. It was beware, beware of that pit of despair and of adversity. And yes, we are to be watching out for ourselves and helping others to watch out as well. But our role as the people of God, as a kingdom of priests, is to say, watch out, but let's look at God. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus as a church, as a family, as individuals, as a movement, as Christians across the world. Let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Because as we said before, we are called, absolutely called to the pit, to rescue people from the pit, to warn people in the pit to walk beside people in the pit, but we are absolutely called not to abide there. In Philippians chapter two, talking about Jesus is saying that Jesus being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so we are called to respond to what God has laid on our hearts. And some words are gonna come up over that screen there, that we are to call out the danger that we see. We are to call out the good, remember, the, the good of God, the good in people, the, the good possibilities. But we are also to call for the King. And we rely on Him because nothing the, the only good that comes out of our service for Him is comes out of His Spirit within us and His work in us. And then we can encourage others and challenge others. We can say, hey, aren't you called to rest? Or hey, you're serving in kids' ministry. Awesome, that's how God was leading you. Or hey, we're filling hearts and fueling missions as a church. That's awesome. And to call us all together, to call each other together to say, let's pray because we need to keep our eye on the King and more than ever, to be listening to Him, to be hearing His heart, to be moved by compassion for what He is calling us to. And so I just want to, to finish now with a prayer for you. And it's from Ephesians chapter one, but I want to read you the, uh, the passage first. You can go on to the last slide, thanks. And the passage from Ephesians chapter one says this. That's why when I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the followers of Jesus, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you and give thanks. But I do more than thank, I ask 
I ask the God of our Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing Him personally, your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what it is that He's calling you to do, so that you can grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life He has for His followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of His work in us who trust Him, endless energy and boundless strength. And so at the end of the service, um, I'll join the prayer team. And so if you would like to, to, to join us to pray, um, whether it is just to refocus your eyes on the King, whether you would like prayer for, to stand with you in what you are going through in that pit of trouble or adversity or despair, or whether it's discerning what it is, what great work it is that God has for you right now or something completely different, come pray. Let's keep our eyes on the King together. And so let me finish by praying this verse over you now as individuals and as a church. And I'll invite the the music team to come up and actually I'll invite you to stand as I pray this as well. Oh, King Jesus, we bow our knees in service to you and in love for you. We thank you for the great work that you have done in our lives. We thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for your provision for us in the toughest of times. We thank you for your protection. And we remember so well how you have been there for us and for our families and for the people who have gone before us. And we thank you and we love you. And right now we rest in your presence, King Jesus. And we ask that you would renew our minds and our souls and our bodies and our hearts. And King Jesus, I pray for each person here that you would make them intelligent and discerning, not just in facts, not just even about you, but actually knowing you personally that each person's eyes would become focused and clear on You, King Jesus. No matter the trouble, no matter the adversity, no matter the despair around them. Help their eyes to be focused and clear so that they can see exactly what You are calling them to do. But also so that they can grasp the immensity of the glorious way of life that You have for them individually and corporately. Oh Jesus, the utter extravagance of Your work in us as we trust You. May each person here, as they they rest in You, as they spend time in Your throne room, in the peace and in the strength of Your presence, may they experience endless energy and boundless strength not just to go out and do the tasks that are good to do, but so they can walk in relationship with you and obedience to you in, in just that area that you have called them to. Whether it is with a friend or whether it's just being faithful in one area that you're asking them, whether it's with their families, their workmates, people at school or university people in a club or or a group that they're in or here at church or in the community. Endless energy and boundless strength that comes from you.
May you work in us. Help us to keep our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen.